Consequence Podcast Network. This is the Album of the Week podcast presented by the Consequence of Sound Podcast Network, and I'm your host, D.C. Hendricks. This is the Album of the Week, a weekly series on the Consequence of Sound that features an in-depth discussions on the week's most topical release, or on this case, classic album reviews as well. So we're celebrating the 25-year anniversary of the album Dookie by Green Day, but this is where we talk about the most topical release every week here on the Album of the Week. Last week, we did Fiddler's third studio album, Almost Free. Last week, I was joined by Lindsay Teske. This week, I'm going to be joined by Kaylee Hughes, who has the fantastic classic review up at consequencesound.net. You can give us a follow on Twitter. I am at DC Hendrix. You can give Kaylee a follow on Twitter as well. You can follow Kaylee on Twitter at Kaylee Q, K-A-Y-L-E-I-G-H-Q-U-E-U-E. Kaylee Hughes, just search her on Twitter. You'll find her. And that is going to be that is who is going to be joining us here this week to help review the classic review 25 year anniversary of the album dookie by green day do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything all at once i am one of those be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. The only way to keep up with the album of the week is by subscribing, and you can rate us and review us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are available. Make us one of your favorites by subscribing. But let's go ahead and bring Kaylee on and review the classic review, kind of travel back in time. 25 years ago, album Dookie came out by Green Day. Kaylee Hughes joining us here. Kaylee, thanks for joining us. Hi. Yeah, no problem. Um, I'm really happy to be here. I was uh, three at the time the album was released. So I'm going to talk about my first time hearing it at age three. I'm not. That's not happening. <laughs> yeah, obviously, and, you know, for anyone, you know, it's making jokes in their head, all these youngsters, you know, talking about this classic album. Well, obviously, there was a lot of great musical long before our time that a lot of people talk about. So this is definitely one of those albums. And I feel, for our generation especially, was one of those, you know, milestone albums that kind of got people listening to more punk rock or rock music like myself. This is one of those albums that got me listening to rock music, one of the first ones. So I'm very excited. Let's talk about it. Green Day, Dookie, you have the awesome review up, classic review. Now, first of all, let's start off. You know, your first your first thoughts when hearing the album. Let's travel back to that. Okay, so I don't remember the first time I heard it, like, in my <laughs> life at all. Um, I know that the first time I ever heard Green Day was uh, when I was in middle school and the American Idiot uh, single was released. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, hooked from the first second. Um, so I made, made my dad download all of the Green Day that had ever been produced um, to put on my little MP3 player. <laughs> and... Um, he was very concerned. He said, isn't this, like, pretty raunchy? Um, and I uh, I didn't care. Um, and he also didn't really get it because, to me, like, what mattered so much about what I was hearing, like, wasn't really the, like, craft stuff. It was, like, this addictive, melodic, swingy, three-chord punk um, and all this talk about feelings. <laughs> yeah, I actually it's it's funny. So the first Green Day song that I heard was also American Idiot, but at the time hearing it I didn't know it was Green Day. So mm-hmm. that the actual first Green Day song I heard was actually Good Riddance Time of Your Life. That was the first one where I had to see, all right, who is this? I really like this. So that was the first one, but that American Idiot was one that I go back and listen to, but 
Good Riddance was the one that got me to go back and listen to, you know, some of their classic stuff like Dookie. So um, same here. Don't don't exactly remember the very first time I heard it. I was probably about I was probably about 10. So 2000 was the first time I got to hear Dookie. But let's go ahead and let's talk about, you know, some of the story. I, I know you have this awesome review kind of talking about some of the accolades that it, that they got from this album, number two on the Billboard charts. So how exactly did this album perform back in the day? Yeah, so this um, was a smash hit that basically, as has been really heavily discussed in criticism um, already, it uh, sort of reintroduced punk rock to the mainstream and um, started like an entire new punk rock generation of bands, you know, which morphed into all of the subgenres, you know, pop punk and everything. It really kicked off, you know, large international way of, uh, punk rock revival, as they say. Um, but what had been happening, actually, on a more local level, is Green Day comes from the Bay Area punk scene, um, and, you know, that's also where, like, the sort of uh, older punk bands like the Dead Kennedys um, came up a lot uh, a lot earlier than that, and there had been this sort of vibrant scene, kind of, you know, it, it ebbed and flowed, but, like, there was a big vibrant scene, especially the time Green Day was coming up at uh, 924 Gilman Street. It was like an all-ages club, and mm-hmm. there were you know, dozens, hundreds of these local punk bands performing in this Bay Area community, um, and Green Day was a part of that. But <laughs> <laughs> a lot of those bands and a lot of the members of that community weren't super psyched when, um, when Green Day went major label, you know, sort of the, the notorious sellout. Um, they had put out two really well-performing albums for an independent label um, on a label called Lookout Records, which is based in the Bay Area. And, um, and when they decided to sign on with a major label, um, the whole scene, you know, there, <laughs> there was a lot of negative feeling about it. Um, and... Uh, I mean, this is maybe slightly tangential, but the cool thing is it's almost impossible to find anyone saying actually validly negative things about any of the members of Green Day. They're right. pretty much universally acknowledged as being really good people, and um, they handled the transition, um, in my opinion, like so professionally and um, like in a, such a, a realistic human way. Um, mm-hmm. But there was also no change, like no guarantee that this record that they put out on a major label was going to succeed. Um, you know, it could have been like a crash and burn, uh, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. It, you know, with the Longview was the first single, I think, and then when Basket Case uh, started kicking off, that was what, like, <laughs> ballooned their fan base over the course of a couple months yeah. to the point where, you know, they were selling millions of copies, uh, and they were, you know, 18 all coming from lower middle class backgrounds, you know, really, I don't know exactly if it's 18, you'll have to double check me, uh, <laughs> but they were quite young. I think maybe they'd hit 20, 21 at that point. Yeah. Um, suddenly, you know, they were known all around the world. Uh, it was really, really fast for them. Uh, that, you know, famous Woodstock 94 performance was in the middle of their tour, yeah. and they had started that tour, you know, moderately well-known, and at that point, they were like enormous, and from that point on, it was just an exponentially bigger uh, audience. Yeah, and obviously, when around the time when Dookie came out in '94, 
you know, it was, it was a really tough time, you know, to kind of break out in the punk scene, I feel. And you can you can disagree if you if you'd like, if you don't, if you don't agree. But I just I just picture coming up in a time where in a genre that is really dominated by the likes of Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots. So it was it was really tough for them to break out. And I feel like Dookie was that album that kind of helped them at least break out to the scene. Yeah, it's just remarkable in a lot of ways that it had that that much resonance, considering how different it was from the grunge sounds, from the heavier, like you were saying, Stone Temple Pilots, Pearl Jam, that was you know dominating the charts at the time. Um, compared to other rock music, like the tracks on Dookie are mm-hmm. incredibly bizarre. Other rock music that was popular in '94, uh, it's incredibly bizarre to hear. You know. <laughs> Um, in between Pearl Jam songs on the radio, like suddenly there's there's Longview and that like wonky, amazing bassline, and then you know those incredibly direct lyrics about like not wanting to get a job and jerking off, um, <laughs> and that's on a mainstream radio station, yeah. and in you know that's like one of the longest songs on the album, and it's you know what is it? It's three minutes and fifty three seconds, like. Mm-hmm. And then it's out, you know, when when a lot of mainstream rock was pushing four or five, six minute songs, um, it was just very different on a on a national and international level as far as mainstream music goes. Yeah. So let's kind of talk about some of the songs. Now, my personal favorites, you mentioned Basket Case. I mean, that's pretty much everyone's, I think, you know, off the, off the album. But other than that, OK, I'll pick a couple other than that. So my personal favorites and you can talk about some of yours, you know, basically just essential yeah. tracks. And obviously you can talk about ones at the time that were big and then ones kind of over time grew on you. But some of mine, I, I really liked having a blast. So I felt like personally it should have been the very first one. Oh, that is fascinating because. I happen to believe that Burnout, with its opening line, is one of the greatest opening lines on an album of all really? time. I declare I don't care no more. Like, <laughs> I just think that's a brilliant introduction to the world. Um, so I had never even considered what the record would be like if, if the order was arranged differently. If it wasn't number one, huh? Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was just per- it was per- it was personal. I-, I really liked having a blast. I felt like that one led into that one, but I did like Burnout. So I don't want to make it sound like I didn't like it. Um, no, but of course. I-, I loved I loved Burnout. I also loved Pulling Teeth. Um, I was actually playing that a little bit before we recorded. To be honest with you, just getting a couple last listens in, kind of traveling back. But what were some of your essential tracks? Some ones that when you first heard it you really liked, and then some of the ones that kind of grew on you. Because with classic albums, that really happens to me a lot. I don't know if that happens to you, but there's some songs on albums that I've heard so many times that kind of grow on me a little bit as time progresses. Oh, I mean, 100 million percent. I'm also, like, there's no argument that, like, Basket Case is by far, you know, the song that is closest and most important to my heart. Um, It was my ringtone when I was in eighth grade. So anytime someone called me, it would go off and be like, do you have the time to listen to me whine? Um, which I thought was like, you know, painfully clever, just like the coolest. <laughs> uh, but even as a ringtone that I heard that often, I still didn't get sick of it. So that's saying something. <laughs> um, I really think that Basket Case struck such a chord because um, it's kind of hard and confusing when you're younger, especially in the 90s, to know how to talk about the fact that maybe you're not like, you know, your mental health isn't great, but you don't really know the words to use for it. Um, <laughs> and, like, it hasn't been normalized to such a degree, but, like, you kind of feel really <laughs> fucking insane. And you don't 
you don't know how to tell anyone about it. Uh, <laughs> and so Basket Case was this, like, really great, like, direct, you know, those lyrics are just, here's what's going on. I'm going crazy. This is happening. I feel like a creep. It's just so direct. And um, I think it made a lot of people feel, you know, uh, feel seen and also like they had a an auditory way to, like, <laughs> you know, freak out. It's such a good song for freaking out. <laughs> some of the others, I have a soft spot for some of the more romantic songs on the uh, record. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people sort of overlook that about Green Day a lot. Yes. Certainly not the people from the Bay Area scene who were like, right. oh, all they did was write about love. So boring. No politics. <laughs> um, <laughs> but But maybe, like, nowadays in contemporary culture, we don't talk as much about like the massive romantic streak um, in Green Day, and especially in Dookie, uh, songs like She and songs like Sassafras Roots mm-hmm. are both these sort of like, hey, girl, I'm here for you. I think you're awesome. Uh, the part of the chorus in Sassafras Roots is, may I waste your time, um, which is just such a sweet, you know, low stakes. Uh, it's kind of a pickup line, you know, kind of a pickup yeah, line, exactly, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, it's the cutest pickup line ever of, like, <laughs> we're all just wasting time. Would it be all right, perchance, may I waste yours? <laughs> no, it's it's the cutest sort of combination of, like, formality and lower brow, like, acknowledgement that we're all kind of skulking around wasting time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just is so sincere. Uh, similarly with, with She, mm-hmm. um, it's this sort of song to a girl saying, hey, it seems like you don't feel at all comfortable in your world and, like, people aren't recognizing who you are and you're confused and, you know, and you can just scream at me and that's okay. Like, you just, you're a girl that deserves to scream, you know, and feel some things and I'm here for it, um, which, again, is like, oh, it's such a nice thing. It's a nice sentiment. It's done in a way that's not smooshy. It's just mm-hmm. very sincere. Um, and it's, you know, with these lovely punk rock chords and uh, <laughs> Billy Joe's goofy kind of <laughs> Cali British mishmash accent. <laughs> yeah, you talked. I'm glad you talked a little bit about, you know, them being overlooked for their, I don't want to say romance, um, but like their emotional songs, the ones that help you draw in. And, um, you know, as a man in today's society, in today's society, it's it's kind of a lost art honestly, to kind of, you know, get in touch with your feelings. And this is something that they did a little bit. And I, I mentioned Pulling Teeth was one that kind of re- I remembered a lot. And it just talks a little bit about, I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, some of the lyrics, but I think he was like, um, after all, she's the one who put me in this state. Um, is she ultraviolet? Is she disturbed? I better tell her that I love her before she does it all again. Oh, God, she's killing me. Oh, I I completely agree. Um, I'm crazy about that song. I love, uh, yeah, again, like how how um, devoted this, you know, the lyrics are. In that one in particular, what I like is that it um, it sort of hints at this thing that, that Green Day touches on a handful of times in mm-hmm. their entire career, um, which is sort of like uh, BDSM submissive uh, imagery, yeah. you know, uh, like in this case, they're like, She's busting on my teeth and stuff. And um, <laughs> one of their earlier records, they have a song called Dominated Love Slave. And then uh, some others later on in their career that also have this sort of uh, 
bondage submissive BDSM hint to it. Um, I don't, I, I'd love to see some writing about that because I, I haven't yet, um, mm-hmm. or, or I'll be the one to do it. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's really cool and plays with like traditional ideas of masculinity and femininity and dominance. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you about, cause you talked a little bit about why don't people talk about how smart green day is? What exactly do you mean by that? Uh, well, what I mean is, when I first started hearing their songs as like a, a middle schooler, I would like one have never registered that these people weren't intelligent. But especially like for me, it was actually just the vocabulary. I was like, "Golly gee, <laughs> this guy is so smart. He uses such a big vocabulary. How cool is that?" You know. And I think I was also picking up on like an inherent like really strong sense of like meter. Um, and it just like it was just really smart um, writing. Mm-hmm and very immediate writing, um, and it was clearly very, like, educated. And, uh, you know, Billy Joe Armstrong dropped out of uh, high school in his senior year, um, but he's just inherently kind of really brilliant, um, perceptive, clever, good at writing, thoughtful, reflective, and all of that comes through uh, in the writing of the songs. Um, For example, in a song that I love a lot, I think it's A Many is Sleepless. I think that's the one. Um, oh, shit. Maybe Mike wrote that one. Oh, no, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but uh, basically, it's like skewering some small talk. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just really savvy and really like he's able to put on these different um, tones and personalities and switch between them in the lyrics of a song, like effortlessly and immediately, mm-hmm. um, and able to express, like, uh, for example, with, um, having a blast, which you talked about, like mm-hmm. technically the framing of that is like someone going in, like going to blow some shit awesome. up and like yeah. kill a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. really about, you know, that feeling of like, I don't know how to handle small problems without, you know, my anxiety and panic, turning them into enormous things that right. feel like they're going to blow up my life. And so the only reaction I have is to lash out at other people and then tell them I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's able to like toe that line and communicate all of that within what is sort of a really, these days, especially um, like a politically uh, tender sort of framing. Yeah, so now that we're approaching, I don't want to say it's been that long because it seems like it hasn't really been that long <laughs> since this album came out. But it's weird. We're getting, we're getting, we're getting old. Do you do you do you realize that? I mean, this is we're we're doing classic albums that were out. If you were to if you were to tell someone that has not listened to Green Day Dookie, other hopefully they have. But if there's someone that hasn't listened to it, what would you tell them to expect? I would just encourage them to uh, one. I mean, it's the catchiest. Thing. So, like, they're, they know that Green Day is catchy, you know, maybe sort of pop punk more than regular punk, depending on, you know, what annoying person you accidentally argue with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but essentially what they're saying is there's a lot of hooks and, like, there's melody and they're intentionally playing music that's going to make people listen and make people bob and, like, their, their instrumentation is, is such that, you know, it's pleasant and enjoyable and addictive, like, airheads or something like it's good um and then to listen to the lyrics because it's amazing how well they hold up and how relatable they still are and how in like like frankly for me um 
I listen to a lot of like old music that I used to love now, and I'm like, oh no, mm-hmm. is this going to be super offensive? Like, <laughs> turn out that like, I mean, and at the time, you know, I I kind of knew that they hated women, but like looking back now, is it just going to be so condescending and patronizing? Mm-hmm. And nothing on this record comes close to that. Like, they got such a you know a rap for being like horrible, rebellious, burnout wasteoid kids just making a mess but like yeah why was that they were never real quickly why, why do you think is, is <laughs> yeah. it literally just because they're punk rock stars is that the only reason because i remember growing up too and like you know you know i'm telling my dad about some of these groups and he's like oh no i'm not listening is, is it just their their appearance is that what it is or, or or is it just uh is it the genre of music why do you think green day got so so much of that um, I think it's a couple of reasons. One is uh, that they were young and yeah. the way that they looked and that they smoked a lot of weed, you know, and um, yeah. and Generation X was becoming such a cultural conversation center point that, like, mm-hmm. they were such a good exemplification of that if you kind of look just at the surface. Um, also, like, they were really goofy um, in performance and mm-hmm. and sort of, like, innocent-level rebellion, mostly, you know, like, tear some shit up, or, like, <laughs> or we're gonna, you know, get fucked up and, like, break our toes or something. Um, but they were never, like, aggressive <laughs> at all. Or, again, like, promoting any retrograde ideas. They were never, like, you know, homophobic or... Uh, in fact, they... <laughs> uh, one of the songs on the record, Coming Clean, is about Billy Joel Armstrong scoring um, bisexuality, and he's talked about it in several different interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've talked a lot about being sort of more vulnerable people um, and the challenges of, you know, not necessarily conforming to a masculine ideal. There's so many great pictures on their Instagram of them wearing, like, dresses and, and uh, painting their nails while they were on tour in Europe. Um, and they like they loved performing in dresses. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they liked you know the shock value and the making people feel uncomfortable, um, but in in ways that were actually like they were not uh, malicious. Right. And I don't think that people know how to handle that really, like yeah. making a mess, being brash. Yeah. You know that's yeah. not actually a criminal offense. It's especially not when. <laughs> It's not geared towards, you know, hating anyone. It's just really weird because like it, it, where we are today compared to then, how far we've come in 25 years, because now I, I feel like it's almost the norm. I guess there's the, there's a lot of the sexuality elements, like yeah. singing and explicitly referencing masturbation. Like Billy Armstrong used to, you know, take out his penis all the time on stage. Like, yeah. so I think in that way, it's also a little scary. Like yeah. the the brashness of like bodies. Uh, I think the way that they talk about bodies, especially about their whole career, um, is kind of yucky. And uh, I mean, that's what one of the things I love about it. But I think that makes people kind of uncomfortable um, mm-hmm. that they're they're just acknowledging that like they're gross <laughs> and also horny. You know, yeah. <laughs> these things that are there's that, there's nothing wrong with being these things. No, there's not. It's at okay all. to be horny. We all are. We just that's may not all tell people. Yeah, and it's especially okay <laughs> if you're a musician to be able to channel all of those feelings, sort of condense them yeah. into their purest forms and deliver them in these little three minute bursts of energy 
so that somebody knows exactly how you're feeling because they felt it before too. A couple more things before I let you go. Number one, all right, so where now that we've got a big catalog now, we have, you can go back to early 2000, you have Warning, Shenanigans, Nimrod, Insomniac, you obviously have American Idiot. Um, where does Dookie rank for you? Oh, golly. Um, <laughs> so we're saying favorite versus best. We're saying yes. favorite. Yes. Okay. I think it's my favorite. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, this was, it's up there. I got to go with American Idiot. And then mm-hmm. Dookie and Warning are right there. Um, I liked Warning as well. I loved uh, Church on Sunday, uh, Fashion Victim. So, I mean, there's so many to go through. But, yeah, Dookie has, the at worst, is number two uh, for me. Just, just I just, it's so, like, like, songs one through 15, it's just, to me, it's a comprehensive, mm-hmm. you know, it is one consumable thing that it, I, I don't even know how to think about finding fault with it like I you know I'm always open to it you know but to me I think of it as just something that was done right that hits me in just the right way but I also like I think I'm one of the weirdos that's really fond of insomniac the like Mm -hmm. darker sludgier moodier more manic um album they put out after dookie yeah uh that's right I really like that one (laughs) yeah yeah forgot insomniac uh so um, and in all of this, this entire album, you know, it's 15 tracks, but it's just about 40 minutes too. So like for mm-hmm. any, for anyone that's impatient, there's a lot of, you know, in today's world, it's all about streams and all that. So if you're an impatient person, it won't take you too long. All right. But it's a fantastic album. It's great stuff. 40 minutes of great, um, great content, great punk rock travel back 25 year anniversary. But Kaylee, before we let you go here, I want to get to know you a little bit more. So we just followed each other on Twitter. I threw out our social media profiles earlier. So what else you got coming up here as a freelancer? Oh shit. Um, I keep trying to freelance less because I also have a regular, um, like professional career, but I can't pass up opportunities to do things like write about green day. Um, (laughs) I am going to be covering, uh, South by Southwest for the Austin American Statesman. Um, so I'll be writing, you know, reviews and and updates and stuff all throughout the music section of South by Southwest. You can, can look out for me there. Um, and then, I don't know, I mean, I've got like seven book proposals that I keep saying I'll do, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot of money to, to publish a book. <laughs> they don't give you money. You have to give other people money. Exactly. Money, time, everything. I, I completely get it. But we got each other on Twitter now. So I'll follow all your work and so will the listeners here on the podcast. But Kaylee, thank you so much for joining again. Her fantastic classic review for the album Dookie, 25 year anniversary. Still can't believe that. Um, it is up at consequencesound.net. Kaylee, thanks for joining us today. Great stuff. Yeah, thank you so much. It was really good to talk to you. So that'll do it for this week's album of the week. Classic review, 25 year anniversary, Dookie by Green Day. I've been your host, DC Hendricks. Thanks so much to Kaylee Hughes for joining us here to talk about what she has in her classic review up. That is up at consequencesound.net. Again, before we go, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, everywhere podcasts are available. Make us one of your favorites by subscribing and check out some of our other fantastic podcasts as well on the Consequence of Sound Podcast Network, Discology. The Opus just wrapped up their season finale of talking about Electric Ladyland on Jimi Hendrix. You obviously have the Losers Club, and there's many more fantastic podcasts for you guys to check out on the Consequence of Sound Podcast Network. Again, I've been your host, DC Hendrix, and this has been the Album of the Week.
Consequence Podcast Network.